how that's how they get you. I mean, almost all the value of the internet has gone to five, six different companies because we are we are their products. We are driving their business and, and getting people to their platforms. That is exactly why I wanted to have you on. I'm so curious about the content space. I think I first discovered you, Joe, on LinkedIn. Your content is amazing. You've grown a huge following on LinkedIn and you're basically an expert at content, I guess. Well, I guess before we jump into it, give me and the audience a, a brief detail about who you are and what you do, Joe. So uh, I've been in the content marketing space for over 20 years now. So content marketing wasn't a thing when I started, but it's basically the idea that instead of a brand uh, pushing out their products and services and advertising and sponsorship, those types of things, we're going to say, hey, we're going to have a different philosophy. We're going to create valuable, relevant, and compelling information. We're going to target a specific audience and we're going to build trust and loyalty. So ultimately they'll buy from us. And it's about building an audience. It's basically a media model, which wasn't used very much back in the day. And now everyone's trying to do that. And everyone can, if they want to, because of all the tools available, it's just not many people know how to monetize that property over properly over a long period of time. So, uh, seven books, one novel, uh, three businesses, you know, two exits, one really good one. And uh, now I'm, I moved from content marketing, which is marketing with on the corporate side. We worked with, we worked with really, really big brands. We had the largest uh, content marketing event in the space, which we had in Cleveland, Ohio. And then I moved to the creator economy side, which is what I'm calling the content entrepreneur. How does a content creator actually build a financially sustainable business? Which I think you talk about some of that stuff as well. Um, but we, you know, we've got a, I wrote a book called content Inc, which talks about a seven step model on how to do that. And, um, so that's my thing right now. Interesting. Has your main thing currently been creating content, educating the everyday person on how they can build a personal brand and then make a living off that and you sort of provide whether through your books or your courses, you're able to sort of help those individuals achieve that goal. Yeah. I mean, the. So I wrote, uh, first book was Get Content, Get Customers back in 2008. And that was for anybody that wanted to do that. Then I wrote Epic Content Marketing, which was for a business, a larger business that wanted to do it. And then I wrote Content Inc. in 2015. New version just came out in 21. And that's the book for a individual content creator that wants to be financially sustainable. And hopefully they get to a point where they have a an exit possibility there where they want to go from you know zero to a multi-million dollar exit uh so we talk about the different steps to get there so that that's uh the new version yeah content inc is came out in 21 so and yeah blog post you name it blog post videos i've had a you know started blogging in 2007 i've got two podcasts this old marketing and content inc so just creating creating lots of content and have for a long time Probably when you were a little, little guy <laughs> started. <laughs> Out of all the different platforms over the last six months, which platforms have you been doubling down on Joe? Believe it or not, I'm old school email. Wow. Um, and I'll, I mean, by the way, I've got friends and colleagues that are doing great with Instagram and, and TikTok. TikTok, the, the algorithm just blows my mind. It's unbelievable. I love podcasting. Very hard to build an audience, but I absolutely love it. But uh, email is the the one place that we can control our distribution. 
and we have some say over that platform versus a TikTok, which could kick us off or change the platform at any time or meta or or Twitter or whatever the case is. And then I'm starting to dabble in the Web3 space as well because of the same reasons, because I'm looking at a content creator and you have all these places you're building followers and fans and you don't have any say in the data or the distribution or the content and when it's used. And that's a problem for a content creator. So we teach, hey, absolutely, find your platform, leverage it, but you have to use a rent-to-own strategy where you're moving them off the platform at some time. And hopefully everything will turn out well. You'll never get kicked off. They'll never change. But history has shown us that every platform, and Instagram is a great example. I mean, they're trying to be TikTok. They completely just changed their algorithm. Every All the Instagrammers were upset about it. And what can you do? Can't do anything because Instagram is a private company and they can do whatever they want. But as a content creator, you don't have to take it. You have to have a strategy to move off of that platform and to diversify to different areas. I've been hearing email come up again and again, surprisingly a lot recently. So I had a list of 10,000 sort of emails, people who are interested in e-commerce. They wanted to learn how to start a Shopify store, how to run ads, how to find products. And we used to do weekly value sort of posts, whether it's like how do you pick a winning product, how to run Facebook ads, um, how, how do you know if an ad is good or not? And we'd send them weekly with active campaign and we might get like a 5% open rate, maybe 10%, maybe like 20, 30 clicks per weekly thing. And we might get one or two strategy calls um, with each weekly campaign. So I was like, oh, like we're paying $160 for active campaign a month. I don't think it's worth it right now. So we, and also like we had the copywriter and it just wasn't yielding much results. So I put it on hold and I went ahead and it was a few months recently put together this campaign. It's like, hey, this is Anthony. He's one of our recent success story. He wants to help people like I'm offering you an opportunity to speak with Anthony directly. So a free call with Anthony blasted the list um, manually um, using Yam through Gmail. And we got high open rates, but we got like one or two strategy calls again. So it's like, am I doing something wrong? Like even when I personally drafted my own email and it wasn't a copywriter, I was getting one or two discovery calls. So, so I would, so your idea of email is different than my idea of email. My idea of email is you're, think of it like a show. It's so let's say you're going to do a weekly email. It's a weekly show. You have a name for the email. You have regular sections of that. You have articles or news or whatever you're focused on. And in order to break through with email, you have to be amazing. You have to have an amazing e-newsletter. You can get through all the spam and you you know the people you're targeting. They're only going to read two or three things a day that they really want to read. So you have to be that thing. So think of a morning brew or the athletic or New York Times or whatever the case is where you are delivering information in a unique way that they can't get anywhere else. And that's what we're trying to do with email. So when you do other can't, you could use do campaigns with your emails and do other things with it, but that's a totally different thing. That's, that's when you're trying to sell with an email. All we're trying to do is build an audience. And when you look at open rates for something like this, you need to be over 30% consistently. Like if you're probably at a 10% or 12%, you're not delivering a lot of value. You either got a spam problem, blocking problem, or that content is just not good enough. So we want all these people to be opt-in and you grow it slowly over a long period of time. And it takes time. I mean, if you're going to ask me, if you're going to do that, 
you got to give it 12 to 18 months to really get into it. Now, it doesn't mean you can't do other things to drive leads or subscriber generation to that email, but it does take a long period of time. So if you had asked me, what's the one thing that I didn't do early in my career that I wish I would have done, it would have been focusing on email. So I started blogging in 2007, probably didn't get serious about our email newsletter until 2009. And I'm thinking, oh man, we missed out on tens of thousands of people that we could have opted in. So the idea is if your email becomes that center, that's where you deliver that trust and value, then you can start launching products or then you can diversify out once you build what we call a minimum viable audience. And for my industry, a minimum viable audience is, was 10,000 email subscribers. So you get to 10,000. If you if you think that's your minimum, could be 5,000. If you're targeting multimillionaires, it could be 100. So you never know what that is. And then you say, okay, then I'm going to diversify. I have the email, then I'm going to have a podcast. And we do that for nine to 12 months. And then we say, okay, that's doing well. Then we launch a YouTube series. This is just media publishing 101. You always start with one particular audience. You have a content tilt. We call that. That's your differentiation. What's your strong differentiation that you have that's different than anything else out there? It could be your sense of humor. It could be the content. It could be your target audience, whatever that is. Then you have one content type you focus on for the main part. It is, is this uh, audio? Is it vid video? Is it textual plus image? And then what is your platform? Is it YouTube? Is it a podcast? Is it email? Is it a blog? Um, is it a TikTok? Whatever the case is. And that's what you focus on for your first 12 to 18 months. And you try not to do anything else. And then when you do those things, then you can start to diversify, build out. And then the process from start to exit generally takes between five and seven years. Generally, if you're looking, or you might want to keep it. You know, say, hey, I love this lifestyle. You know, you're, you're banking more than enough money and you're fine. And you, you don't want to change that. We... When my wife and I started our content business in 2007, we always had the goal to exit. And so we set that goal 2015. We didn't make that. We exited in 2016 and we were very happy with that. So, and that's the model. And that's based on thousands of, you know, research with thousands of other content creators over 20 years and, and it works fairly well. And you, you even keep adding new, you know, TikTok's new. And then Web3 comes in and that's new and lots of new things, but the model still works and it's worked for 300 years. It's kind of sickening. I mean, but <laughs> the, the, the ways we communicate always change, but the, the, I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't exceptions. You, you might get somebody that goes viral in a very short period of time and they're making everything and everything's wonderful, but those are your one in a million shots. Most of them have to do a lot of patience really it takes time to find that content tilt area and uh, and then it might take time you might start on video and realize that's not your thing and then you go to, to audio and podcast and that is your thing or writing so there's lots of different ways to do it interesting and with email is it possible to get the flow effect to kick in or an exponential growth of your email list to occur or is it very linear where it's like you're, you create content, it's one at a time. It's not going to, word of mouth, it's not going to kick it into exponential sort of graph and it's very linear. 
it's generally linear and you'll have bumps up to the off a plateau here or there, if you will. But if you've got the process working really well, you've got your partnerships in place, you've got people talking about it, you've got subscriber generation, lead gen forms, those types of things. Yeah, you'll see it going up and down. Let's say that you have an article in your newsletter that takes off or you've got an influencer that just loves this thing and subscribe to it, or maybe you're going to put some paid ads around it. Then you'll see the bump up. But if you look at somebody like, what's a good one? The Hustle. You look at uh, Morning Brew, very linear. I mean, depending on when they said, I mean, you look at Morning Brew, when they started, what, 16, 17? So they're six, seven years. Now they're up to, I don't know how many millions, and they got many other newsletters, but it's very much, if you looked at that chart, it's just, you know, it's like a really good stock. But you're not going to see it go, you know, bubble up, which, which actually makes a lot of sense because you're trying to build trust over a long period of time. And if you get this big bubble up, you're going to have a, you're going to get people to opt out because a lot of those people aren't going to be the right people. So you want to make sure you don't want everybody signing up for your newsletter. You only want the right ones. So it does take time. And that's, by the way, that's everything, right? That's a YouTube site podcast for 99% of the time in media. It's just a slow grind. And then you get to a point where you can diversify and then launch multiple revenue. I mean, you got 10 different ways that you can drive revenue essentially from a loyal audience, six direct, four indirect. And I mean, then you, then you can kind of pick your poison with it, but it, it, you generally, the, the, a really good content entrepreneur will get to three diversification strategies where they have whatever their center platform is it's youtube it's it's a it's a podcast it's email and then you might have oh well i used to we used to have a print magazine or over here we got a membership site or over here we might have a tiktok channel or whatever the case is and then you're just running with that and focusing on that and generally you do more than that you you're a multimedia operation or you're struggling because i've seen too many creators i mean where we're on the marketing side where marketers go wrong is they immediately diversify. They're like, Oh, we, we want to talk about all the things we're going to create all these podcasts and videos and email and blog. And we're going to do it all at the same time. And whenever, and I've been into a hundred of these calls and I go in and do a content audit and I immediately, they want to say, okay, Joe, what should we add to the mix? And I'm like, please don't add anymore. You're mediocre at everything. I want you to kill some things so that you can be great at one or two. When your audience and clients get to a point where they've grown an audience, let's say they have 10,000 subscribers on YouTube or 10,000 um, size email lists, what's usually a recommendation for them to then monetize? Is it sort of the general start with one-on-one -on -one coaching, then do group coaching, then maybe put together a course and get into info products? Is that usually the journey? That is usually the journey, and but I disagree with that journey. Uh, the lowest hanging fruit, your possibility is sponsorship. That's the first thing you want to do. You already probably have sponsors in your email list that know you. And if they know you have that availability, you can sell sponsorship space. And the way that we want, we recommend, you know, people that get to that 10,000 uh, minimum viable audience, we, we want to recommend a limited inventory model. So you don't want to, I mean, you've seen the sites, right? They got ads everywhere. They're pulling Google ads in and they're just trying to get dollars whenever they can. And that's a tough way to go. Not that it's wrong, it's just tough. So what I would recommend is say, okay, if you have your website or your email, you have limited spots. So you might say, instead of sell selling three spots in my email newsletter, I'm gonna do a, a limited takeover. I have one, one spot for this newsletter, that's it. 
So you sell that as a premium. So instead of selling a advertisement in your newsletter for $200 US or whatever, you could say, I'm going to sell a takeover for $2,500 or $3,000. So you've just taken it from unlimited space to if you're a weekly newsletter, you got 52 spots. That's all you get. Or if you're every other week, you only got 26. So you make that and then you can raise the price and then you're off the CPM chart because you never want to go with CPMs. If you're showing, it's just, it's a tough, that's a very, very tough ball game. And I don't want to be part of that. So you want to change the equation where people look at the number and they can't qualify it against anything else because it's not open inventory. It's closed inventory. So yeah. that's where I would start first. And then you can launch other things. You could launch a course, right? You could launch a membership. You could do affiliate links. You could take donations if your cause is, is a powerful cause. Uh, you could do a subscription site. Training would be great. Um, if you look at like business, like you and I were, were business content creators, the number one is coaching and consulting. Absolutely the number one. And so again, you pull, you're pulling from your audience. Do you want to do a cohort session or you want to sell it? Uh, you know, $95 a course or whatever. My favorite, once you get past the 10,000 are physical events. Physical events are very hard to run, but from a valuation standpoint and a growth standpoint, and there's nothing like a physical event. So when we launched Content Marketing World in 2011, we had 600 people. It was about, I don't know, $750,000 event. We were a little bit profitable. It was great. But by the time we were selling, it was a $6 million event. We were putting, you know, two, two and a half to the bottom line. And you do a you know, multiplier for sales. You're looking at eight to 10 times multiple that people will buy that from you. And that's the power from a content entrepreneur, content creator side, because you have so many brands, bigger brands in your area trying to do what you do and they're failing because it's tough because you got to do it as you know, right? You got to do it all the time. There's production. You're focusing on this. This is your life. You're getting feedback. Brands got lots of things to do. Marketers of the brands are doing all the things. They're doing marketing and sponsorship and influencer relationships and PR. And it's just a lot. And most of them think campaign oriented and they think, oh, what are we going to do this year? But content marketing or a content program always goes outside the campaign. So often these things get cut before they get traction. But a content creator doesn't have a campaign. We don't have a campaign focus. We're just doing our thing. So that's where it's different. And so that's where I'm partial. Like we just launched an event, Creator Economy Expo, because if we we're going to monetize and we want it to be valuable and create a real asset, that's what we're looking to do. And the other thing is you get out of the competition, like you mentioned, cohorts, or courses, membership groups. Well, if you're looking in the creator space right now, there's a million of them. I can, I mean, I got, I got 20 guys right now that I could listen and say that they're all doing the same thing. So I'm not going to compete against that. I mean, that's very hard. I mean, maybe I'll get lucky, but how many people are doing a large scale event? None of them, none of the people that I'm thinking about. So that's where you, if you think a little bit different about your product mix, there's an opportunity. Why are events so valuable for investors or people who want to buy it? Like, why is it a seven to eight X multiple on an event? Like in my mind, I always thought event would be slim margins, break even or make a tiny profit, not too consistent. It wouldn't be your main bread and butter, but given that it's a solid asset that people will pay seven to eight X return on, it must, uh, I might be wrong. 
So traditionally, and so I'm, I'm dating myself again, I've been in publishing for, for 25 years. If you're looking to at the asset and what you can get for the asset, the two best things are subscription sites and events. Subscription sites are the best because it's recurring revenue. So great, you just add to that. Hopefully you retain, you don't, you don't have a lot of churn and you're fantastic. Events are very similar. Like you will get a lot of the same people back year after year. Like depending on the event, maybe you'll get 50% back. Maybe you'll get 30% back. If you're targeting companies, it's really great because almost always, if you do a good job, the company will return. The person will change, but the, co the company will. So they'll say, I'm not sending these two people from corporate. I'm sending these two people. So the predictability of that revenue is the the way to go. So, and that's what's, what's different than advertising. If I'm selling an ad program, it's very difficult to do because I have to resell it every year or every month or whatever the frequency is. With an event, there's very, it, it's more consistent on sponsorship too, because generally if you run a good event, your sponsors will re-up and come back for that same event. So that was great when we would end Content Marketing World 2013, at 2000, at the event, we would start selling for 14 for the next year. And a lot of that was, was returning revenue. So that's why it is, it's predictability. And that's why if you look at the other categories, they're lower multiples. What has been the best way for you to get ticket buyers and people to your events? Has it been through your email list to your YouTube, a bit of everything? What's been the best way to get someone to buy a ticket and show up? They have to be a super fan. Um, that's a really, really good question. I don't have an easy answer for you. If I, you asked me for one, it would say, if you have a powerful, loyal email a list, then great. You have a good place to start. But when we would do our analysis of our most loyal, our highest yielding attendees for the event, we generally found that they subscribed to three things that we were doing. And it didn't matter what three. So that's why we diversify as content creators because we create more loyal, we create better customers. So we'd say, okay, well, they're, they have the email, they're on the Twitter chat, they listen to the podcast, they download the magazine, whatever it is. And generally we had like 10 different things you could subscribe to because we were a little bit more advanced than what we were doing at the time. So that's why you really, I really don't know the answer. We have a lot of different ways to attract them and we've got all the channels that everyone else would have. But if you're asking me at the end of the day, I would say email. The other thing that I would say is, um, if you try to launch it by yourself, it's very difficult. You want to get your community and your partners involved, as you know, right? So you want to get anyone that's targeting the same audience. So I think for Creator Economy Expo this year in May, we had it was our first year event. We had 400 attendees. We were very happy with that as a first year event. And we probably had about 40 different media partners. Now, for those, the, how many do those 40 partners probably brought in 100 people great most of them we brought in but they were all influenced in some way we don't know they might come back next year so my thought is that we can get two or three uh, new people that don't know us to come to our event and we can have 50 75 100 different partners in some way be a part of this in a lot of cases the partners want to come as well and then they might bring other people to it so um you know i guess it you know it takes a village if you will to do these things so i would say own email and then partnerships when you say partners are these people that are coming in and they're just speaking and they're offering free value or their sponsors coming and paying to have their logo on the wall when you say partnerships and having 40 of them what do you mean 
there's there's a couple different ways to do it. If it's a minimum level partner, we'll say, hey, would you give us um, you know two or three ads or postings or whatever, and we'll put your logo on the site and you can be affiliated with this. So that's very minimal. The second one would be, hey, you give us an email, we'll throw in a ticket and a logo. They say, oh, okay, that's another one. Uh, you could also do an affiliate program and say, we're not giving you a logo, but we're just going to give you $100 or $200 or something like that for everyone that signs up. Some people want to do that. They want to do it as a revenue generator, and that's fine. And then we have what we call like premier media sponsors. They're bigger names. They will they will do one or two email blasts out to their audience, and they get they might get a booth. Or they might get a speaking spot, depending on who it is or something like that. So there's all kinds of different levels. There's different ways to do it. Um, and then, of course, if you have good sponsors, you want to put together sponsor copy so that they can send it out as well. There, that That's tough to do because generally sponsors are coming because they want new leads. They don't necessarily want their customers to go and go in front of other competitors. But that's the way to do it. And then every speaker as well, they get their own discount code, coupon code, and hopefully they'll send it out and promote it. So speakers are great as well. And hopefully they're a draw, they have their own audience and they can attract new people as well. I'm a big fan of Gary Vaney's whole jab, 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 right hook. How do you balance content and sales? Like I'm usually sort of juggling doing 50, 51, trying to put out the best content possible. People are interested, reach out to me for help. I jump on sales calls or discovery calls and see if I could potentially help them out, pitch them. They usually think about it. If I really want to do it, I can get really good at objection handling and really sort of, you know, you said you needed um, X solution. What, like, is there something you need to think about? If so, like, I'd love to hear it, like go down the objection handling route. And all of a sudden now I'm so exhausted from that. I can't create the best content possible. Or is it better to go all in on con on content and just have a low ticket product that people can just purchase through a landing page. Well, you've just named two options and there's no right way to do it. The Mm. challenge is, is that if you're just the one person, so you're the creator and the salesperson all at the same time, something's going to suffer. Um, So you have to, you, you have to list this. I would say outsource some things that you're doing so you can focus on what you do best. The other thing is, is that I'm not, like at, at Content Marketing Institute, we had a consulting division. I was not involved in it. I didn't like consulting and I didn't want to use my time for consulting. I want to use my time for speaking, for writing books, the big, uh, big content pieces that would drive more people in. That's where I thought that my value was. So the more time I spend away from that, that's actually, I think we're losing money. We might be getting, you know, I might be getting money at that particular moment, but I want to create money opportunities where when I sleep. So that's why I want to create assets. When I say assets, what do I mean? So we're taking out anything that you're doing one-on-one with somebody. I'm going to put over here and say, that's last resort because I have to eat or I have to support my kids. I want to come up with assets like, is there a webinar program that I can sell to a sponsor that we can just do for one hour? I can get an expert on. I can charge X amount of money, deliver them the leads done. I'm going to do that regularly every week. Boom, I've got webinar program. I'm going to do a research program every quarter. We're going to do a new piece of research. Every one of those needs a sponsor. Or you could say, if you have a buying community, you could say you're going to charge $95 or something for that piece of research. I The sponsor's stuff is easier because you only need one or two, but depending on your community, do that. So 
events, same thing, right? Uh, podcasts where you have a single sponsor. So things like that, that you can package together, that is basically just takes the sales energy and the process to do it. In a lot of cases, if you build a really loyal community and you have those sponsors in your audience, it doesn't take much. I'll give you a quick example. We, so I have a podcast called Content Inc. Podcast. I've been doing it for like seven years. It's five minutes every Monday. My, my buddy, Darren Smith, wanted to launch his own podcast on a new platform called the 10K Creator. Basically, how do I get to 10,000 uh, in revenue a month and 10,000 email subscribers? He's like, and we're, we're talking about it. It's like, it's going to take a while to get there. It's like, it'll take a long time to get to that. So we're like, well, um, if you launch that on your own platform, you got zero audience. You can't sell sponsorship for it because you have no audience. I said, why don't you come over and we'll launch it on my platform? I already have an audience. We'll launch it instead of Mondays. We'll launch it Wednesdays. And before we launch anything, I will pre-sell sponsors and we'll limit the inventory. Only three sponsors. They get all 10 episodes. It's a short season. We're going to try it and test it. We went out to our partners and we sold it in a week. And now we're just running them. I think we're on episode five as we're recording this right now. Uh, and it's worked great. So, and we're, the downloads are working and immediately everything's going well. So we'll say, well, probably there'll be a season two. So hopefully we'll reach out. So we, we've just created, you know, a $50,000 product with minimal time, minimal energy done and done. Um, so those are the things that I like to think of recur assets that you can do recurring. That is not, does not take all of your time to do. So that's how I, I like to think of it. So everything, because if you look at what New York Times does, Financial Times, whatever the Sydney papers are doing, media companies are doing, it's the same thing where if you look at all the stuff they're doing, they're recurring assets. They generally have a product name. It's a content brand associated with it. And you, if they wanted to, they could take that asset and spin it off and sell it. It's that valuable. So that's what I want a content creator to think about when they're launching these things. Wow, that's a very interesting perspective because I always had the the dilemma between sponsorships versus your own product, whether it's consulting or informational product, a course or subscription. Why would someone want to sell someone else's product versus their own? Now, let's say you know that it's just a bit difficult to sell your own product. You bring on a sponsor. If the sponsor actually made a return on that investment, then cool, they're going to come back. But that means they're making money off you. They're making a profit off your audience, which you could have done so with your own product. And if you don't make them a profit, then they're not going to come back. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hopefully you're making a profit and they're making a profit. That's I mean, so well, let's see. Uh, I'll go to back to content marketing world 16. So let's say we, we had 75 exhibit booths and 100 sponsors at that event. So we could do two things. One, we could just we could just have it only be paid registration revenue. So instead of charging a thousand dollars, we're charging two thousand dollars and we'll hope that that everything comes in. But we want to want to diversify because you never know how things work. So we'll we'll bring in the sponsors. So sponsors ended up being about 30% of our revenue. Registration revenue was 70% of that revenue, but the 30% of sponsors, I want it, I want our people, our audience to spend money with them. They're going to buy these things anyways. I want it to be with the people that are supporting us. And so hopefully if the equation runs really well and everyone is profitable, they're all going to come back next year. 
and it's a great way to do it. So I, and, and I love diversification in an asset. So if you could sell direct revenue, plus you could sell sponsorship, it's great. You see that with a lot of online events. Hey, we're charging $200 to go online. And then you also have some sponsorship as well. It's a great model because um, you could be a little bit more profitable that way as you do it. So that's the way that I think of it. And then everybody's happy. Well, everybody's good. getting value. The audience is getting value. You're profitable. Sponsors are profitable done and done and what that means is if you do that for five years you'll have a multi-million dollar operation that you can sell or keep or do whatever you want with and you have options as a creator what's your biggest advice for the creator that just reached ten thousand email subscribers they have a healthy 30 percent open rate so every single week three thousand people are viewing their email list how can that person get us sponsor and not be locked into the CPM sort of flow because they only have 3000 eyes. Even if the CPM was a hundred dollars per thousand impressions, that's only $300 for a weekly campaign. Like you can't survive off that. How do you get someone that's paying $5,000 for the next 10 weeks worth of email? And then how do you give that person enough value where they continue resubscribing with you and you have that reoccurring sort of methodology you just said and it's pretty hard to like well i guess it's not that hard to convert if the if that five thousand dollar advertiser has a high ticket product maybe they can make a return off the three thousand people that open each week but what's your thoughts on all that math well the first thing is who's your audience and what's their buying power hmm. so if your audience has a buying power of let's say you're you're, you're targeting foodies hmm and uh, their buying power is not that much hmm. it's a tough model hmm. so if your passion your creator passion is that you need a big audience by lots of little things and hmm. your sponsors are only going to come in if they're reaching hundreds of thousands or millions of people uh you're a mr beast you're a pewdiepie whatever you are you're target you're targeting tons of people if you don't want to do that and you want to charge a lot more money you target business businesses so target uh, construction market uh target uh mechanical systems engineering whatever the case is and that's that's where the money is so i started in business to business publishing and the numbers are better like if you are on the if you're a b2b creator it's a thousand times easier like my uh one of my friends has a podcast network in the construction industry he has an audience podcast audience of 20 to 30,000. So not, I mean, nice, yeah. not huge, multi-million dollar operation. If you're targeting consumers, never get that. Never would get that. But you've got uh, software creators and you've got uh, construction people that want to target these engineers for spec work. And they're going to spend, you know, if they get a, if they got a job in there or whatever the case is, you're talking about thousands to tens of thousands of, of work. Uh, so here's a really weird example, but you'll get the picture. I started, this is back with Hewlett Packard back in 2003 or something like this. When I first started in the industry, we did a content program uh, to 150 people. And the, the program cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to do. Why? Because one person who bought with them spent over a million dollars. So you see, it all depends. Like even with our minimum viable audience, we're shooting around numbers like 10,000. And that's fine because it's a nice round number. But if you uh, can put together buyers and sellers at a very high level, 
then your your metrics completely change. Um, so that's why that's so so content marketing institute we focused on marketers that needed marketing software, marketing automation, email marketing, uh, but not not like we do with Mailchimp or Active Campaign, and we're spending one hundred, two hundred dollars a month. They're spending thousands of dollars a month because they've got you know a whole group of people. So that's where it's different. So if there's a creator and you're looking for, hey, I want to do this, and you don't necessarily have a passion. I would look at opportunities in merging industries where you're bringing buyers and sellers together that have a lot of money and products to sell. Wow, I think, yeah, I think what you're sort of sharing, well, what I've just learned is that rather than pitching sponsors saying, "Hey, I get five thousand monthly podcast listens and downloads," it's like I have five thousand. People who are into business, entrepreneurship, personal growth, and and really niching down and finding companies that are specifically in those fields with high ticket products, and asking if they would be wanting to be a sponsor on my podcast rather than casting a wide net to like Red Bull, Liquid Death, etc. Yeah. So so basically, if I'm you, I'm saying, okay, I got these ten thousand. Uh, what what do they buy? So you're going to say, okay, they buy consulting services, they buy book publishing services,、uh, they buy email software, they they buy all the stuff in podcasting, they buy video service, you know, service Camtasia, whatever they're buying, right? And you get a good feel for that, and you create what's called a media kit, and you take that media kit out, and you go, and then if you're going to, you know, a podcast hosting company. You can say, "Hey, fifty、uh, percent of our audience has a podcast, and they spend right now, you know, five hundred dollars a month on podcast services and software." Do you want? Are you interested in reaching that group? And they would say, "Heck yes, I'm interested in that." And then you know they'll work the math in their head, and then you say, "Great, I got one spot available in May if you're interested. If you want to target this group." So generally, the way it works is. You're not going to sell them a big program at first. You're going to sell them one. Hey, try test run with us. I give you 10% off. You do a test run or whatever. You give or you say if you re up, you get 25% off your next one. And they try it, and hopefully it does well. You reach with them. You give them the metrics. It's a long sales cycle, but if they like the initial metrics, hey, we got、uh, you know 170 people to click on your link to download your thing, and then you'll work that through their CRM system and see what happens, and then you might have something. So that's how I'd work it. Got it. Have you? What's your thoughts on each newer platform that comes on? Is it just me, or does every single new platform seem to be more easier, more lucrative? Like you know, there was blogs, then emails, then YouTube, then TikTok, and it seems like every single new platforms you're finding younger influencers reaching more people and monetizing for larger amounts in short amounts of time. Is that one true and two? Do you then want to keep jumping onto the newest platform? This is a fascinating question, and I, I have an answer for it. So let's look at TikTok. Right, the last stat I looked at, there's just over forty thousand creators that have a million plus followers on TikTok. The average million follower TikTok person makes five thousand dollars a month off of TikTok. So what happens is, is that these platforms make it super easy and sticky, and they want you in there, and they'll get you all the followers and whatever. 
but you got no control. You it's very difficult to monetize over those platforms. Like look at the difference between monetization creator monetization on YouTube and TikTok. YouTube's much better, much more creator friendly than TikTok. TikTok doesn't have to care. They can they can throw a million followers at anybody at, at a women and, and they'll change their algorithm whenever they want to. There'll be another one that tops TikTok soon. That'll be the whole new thing, content discovery, whatever. It's even better and it's easier and you can get million. But then you're stuck on that platform. That's how the, that's how they get you. I mean, almost all the value of um, of the Internet has gone to five, six different companies because we are we are their products. We are driving their business and, and getting people to their platforms. So when you look at starting a blog or a podcast or an email newsletter, it's incredibly difficult. It takes a boatload of time. But if you do it right, after two to three years, you actually have assets. And if you were the TikTok influencer, Instagram influencer, you may have a million plus followers and you may be monetizing a little bit. Maybe you got some sponsorship deals, but you got nothing to sell. You've got no assets. That's the difference. And that's why I'm adamant about talking. And again, I've got all love for people on Instagram and TikTok and, and LinkedIn and whatever you're using to build. And you should use those things, but you should always be prepared that tomorrow they'll be gone. And if you prepare that tomorrow they'll be gone and you build some assets and you don't build on rented land, then you might have a business at the end of the day. So that's kind of how we look at it. Are you ever worried that the new generation or the way society has been trained to consume content has changed where it goes from reading to watching videos to watching 60 second videos and the method of consuming is evolving. And if you sort of stick with say eight minute YouTube videos forever, it's, it's going to be tougher and tougher and tougher. Um, well, first of all, every person, no matter what age consumes content in all different methods and all different lengths. Mm. So I give you, so my youngest son is 19. Mm. Uh, he reads long articles and Reddit posts and he watches short videos and he watches three hour YouTube videos and he watches and binges Netflix and does all the things and listens to an hour podcast from his favorite creator. So younger and yes, do, do, do we like the flashy quick content discovery type stuff that TikTok does? Sure we do. Yeah, absolutely. That will distract us. We'll go down the rabbit hole. That's fine. But we've got to remember that we're still doing all the other things and still the majority of the world uses Google text base. How are those things found? Longer articles, generally 1200 or 1500 words are being created so that they're found by Google. That counts as well. So I think that we, uh, we sometimes we look around or we, we have a bias toward our own behavior, but we don't realize what's actually happening from a business standpoint. So the answer is there's opportunities in all of it, depending on which way you're going. But YouTube's a really good example. So uh, Matthew Patrick, who I've known for a long time, he's got Matt Pat, he's got Game Theory Channel on YouTube, he's done a fantastic job. He was doing a workshop and somebody asked, what's, what's a good length for a video? I've heard it should be about two minutes. And he's like, well, it depends, right? He says, but mine is 12 minutes. That's kind of my sweet spot for people staying. And people are like, oh, are you kidding me? 
but yeah, I mean, that's, he has 20 minute videos. That's what he did every week. And he's been doing them for, you know, whatever it's been 10 years. So I think it's a, it's a consistency thing. So frequency and consistency, like if you did an email newsletter and one week it was links, it's like 200 characters. It was all links. And then the next week it's 1600 free flowing words. They'll be like, what is this? I don't get it. So it, you have to have some kind of consistency in what your product is and your product is your content. And uh, so that's noticed, what I would do. Has the talking about business content and email, has the value per email decreased or increased or stayed the same over the last five to 10 years? Oh, that's a great question. Um, again, it's subjective because the value per email is depending on how much an email subscriber is worth to you on what you can sell per email subscriber. So uh, if I remember when I used to work with Electronic Design and Industry Magazine, their email subscribers were worth to them $35, $40 a piece because they monetize the heck out of them. Again, businesses, these are manufacturing executives that had made big decisions and bought big things. Now, if you are in the creator economy and you're selling to a bunch of content creators, you're, you're, it might be $2 or a dollar, depending on how it goes. So it, again, it, it, but what I do know is that email is as important and ever it's, but it's just, it's just hard to break through like anything else. You got to break through all the clutter. That's why I say, if you're going to do an email newsletter, you have to have an amazing email newsletter that has to be differentiated so you can break through all the thousand other emails that are targeting the same people. Um, so yeah, most of most content creators don't have a content tilt. They don't have a differentiation. It's, it's, as, it's rampant in the content creation business. You got everybody selling a course and a membership. We talked about it. It's just, so you have to figure out what is, what's the thing that's different that you're bringing to the table. So how does like the hustle morning brew, something that's pretty broad and sort of business content. How do they get their value per email above say five to $10 per email where they can afford to pay Facebook five to $10 per lead per email. Like that means their value per email has to be really, really high for a very general sort of niche. Well, morning brew, I don't know as much about the hustle, but morning brew, the way that they distilled business information wasn't being done. They were the first to really, I mean, I guess you could say the same thing about the hustle a little bit from targeting entrepreneurs, but Morning Brew, I sort of watched that arc and see how they did it. I mean, it took them a long period of time, but they, if you get, and I get both every day, I'll get the New York Times Daily and I'll get Morning Brew. They talk, the same content is in both of those, believe it or not. But Morning Brew talks about it in a very different way, targeting a different group of people, business people that are younger, they're out and they don't have a lot of time and that's distilled. Axios has done a great job with the Axios was the one that was that basically does the bullet points. Here's what you're going to read. If you read anything else, here's the three bullet points you got to get out of this. And then they'll do, you know, I don't know, 100 or 200 words on it. And then they'll go on to five more tips. So for the busy executive that hasn't been done before, instead of just long form. So that they just did it a little bit differently and they got, you know, their 30, 40, 50% open rates. So you, and then it's daily, they created the inventory for it. 
and they're able to monetize it in multiple ways. So then they're monetizing it through sponsorship, of course. And by the way, that's a really good example of limited inventory. For the most part, I think almost Morning Brew has a sponsor at the top, brought to you by, they've got the ad, and then they might have some paid sponsor links at the bottom. Other than that, that's it. So if you want to sponsor Morning Brew, you know, you have to pay a premium price, which is, if I'm guessing, it's probably something like $35,000, $40,000 for a newsletter. Just fantastic, right? And they do two, you know, they do one of those every day with this Morning Brew. Then they got Morning Brew Marketing, Morning Brew Retail, and six other categories. And then that's how you diversify out. You create the one email. Like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed has 39 different emails right now. They started with one. What they they had zero, and then they were all on Facebook, and then Facebook changed their algorithm, and they're like, "What do we do now?" They focused on email, and they've sort of tried to bring that company back by, you know, taking that big audience that they have of millions and millions, and 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 separating them into thirty nine different buckets. How has Morning Brew or yourself cleaned up your list? Like, it's so normal to have me find out about Morning Brew put my email in, open up the first two emails and never open it up again. Like, do they have a process where I'm automatically then filtered out? And then if you're running ads, when you're paying $5 per email, if it's every three people stick, you're actually paying $15 per email that actually stick. And then that's a whole nother thing. Now you have to multiple, your multiple gets cut by a third. Yeah, again, you don't want, you don't want them to make the, the connection about I'm paying X per email, or maybe they're doing on a lead. They could be doing on lead gen. They could be doing cost per click. Cost per click would be, if it's pay for, for performance, that that's a little bit easier. Mm. Um, so uh, yeah, so they're trying to change. They, they don't want to go out and say, what am I paying per? Because then you're going to do the open rate calculation. Mm. Nobody, nobody wants this. And, and honestly, they don't care. They just want to see the results. Mm. So when we say, so like our newsletter, we go to like 17,000 people mm-hmm. and we have the same process that everyone else to answer your question. If, if they don't open, I think that, what do we do? I think we did it six months. If mm-hmm. they don't open something for six months, we send them another email and say, Hey, you haven't opened. You probably don't want it. If you don't click on this button, you're out mm-hmm. and take them out because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. We, we, I'd rather have, engage subscribers at a higher open rate, higher click-through rate than, and we know, I mean, I'm sure you know people that have huge email lists and they're getting a two or 5% open rate. Well, whatever. That doesn't, it doesn't, that doesn't do anything. That's like, you know, I've got whatever you said, LinkedIn, I got 260,000 followers on LinkedIn. How many of those are actually seeing my stuff? Probably a very small, I would say probably five to 10,000 if I put something out. So it's all relative. Now on that topic, you said it's all about open rates. Like why is a 10,000 open people, 10,000 people opened, which is say 30% of your list. Let's say you have, I don't know, 30,000 people. Why is that much better than a 1% open rate with a list of, in that case, it'll be a hundred thousand or a million. Uh, well, at the end of the day, if they're the same people doing the same thing, you just care about the people that opened it, right? Right. So the other ones don't matter. The, the, really, if if you're if you're sending a consistent newsletter out 
and you're getting a let's say consistent five percent open rate on these things that means you got 95 percent of people you need to cut off your list then what it means to me is you're not handling your expenses properly because you're you're paying active campaign more money than they need you just want to have that number that's a that's a tough one it saves you money that's it you're right if you're sending out too many emails saves, does it also decrease or increase the chance of you going into spam or having your email flagged is that another reason absolutely if you keep sending out to people that real relevant emails yeah it, there's an opportunity that if you're with a mailchimp or convert kit or a, a active campaign that they might say hey you got a problem here you got to do something you're just you're just spamming people so and they're really concerned about that stuff i mean mailchimp has come down the mailchimp just came down recently and they were kicking people off the platform that talked about crypto and also with we had some kind of a token and it's their prerogative to do that but you know they they can make these decisions however they want to they're a private company just like facebook or tiktok or whatever then is it smart joe to then just have your own crm or like have a simple you know virtual private server and send out emails from your own virtual private server then paying a huge amount for these other platforms to distribute your emails uh boy you got to put if you've got the software chops to do it i mean you got to figure out you got to get on the whitelist to get through all these barriers today i mean and you've got these big email companies that that's what they do they've got full-time people software to figure this thing out so you've got a high deliverability rate i'm under the assumption if you don't have those software chops you're not going to get the deliverability rate you are you're going to end up in spam in the folder in google that nobody ever looks at so those types of things um and yeah, it's that's a very smart decision, I think, to outsource. And you've got lots of options, right? You probably have 50 different options for really credible email marketing providers today. So if one doesn't work, you go to another one. And how much if it's let's say it's spending, you know, you're spending a hundred or two hundred dollars a month on that versus a VPN and doing oh the time it takes, I could tell you right now it'd be way more costly to do that and probably not as effective. Does that mean different email providers might have better deliverability? Like Active Campaign might have a higher deliverability rate than MailChimp? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they all have different processes. That, and they they they'll market against each other that we have we can we can give you a better deliverability rate, whatever they're now. I don't know how that works. I'm not a tech person, but I would imagine that if you sent the same email out to two different providers, you'd have two different deliverability rates. And what's the best process you would recommend our viewers to figure out which platform they should host their emails and, and send out emails from? What's the best way to figure it out? Uh, well, sometimes it's trial and error. I mean, we, you know, um, so we use, I use MailChimp for my, so I'll talk to you about what I do because I know those. We use MailChimp for my personal. So my Joe Polizzi email that I send to 10,000 people, they get my personal email that goes through MailChimp. And our business one that goes out to 17,000, we use ConvertKit. Um, I, per, I mean, nobody's perfect, but I like ConvertKit a little bit better. And by the way, disclaimer, they sponsor some of our stuff as well. So I'm partial because they support us, but I also like what they do a little bit more than what MailChimp does. And then of course you got, like you said, App, Active Campaign, great company. No problem with that. I'm not a huge fan of Constant Contact. I've used them in the past. So it's just, you know, trial and error as you go. I think what you look at is in your industry, who are the creators that you want to aspire to? What are they using? 
and go talk to them or ask them what they use. They'll tell you, they'll be real honest with you. So get a good feel from the people in your network about what they're using. And because some, maybe one of maybe, maybe MailChimp's better for retail. I don't know. So I would, I would look at that and see. Thank you very much for your time today, Joe. Where can people find more about what you do, hear more, basically get more of you? Man, it's hard. I got all kinds of, so I'm, I'm at Joe Polizzi on all the social channels. So P-U-L-I-Z-Z-I, if you want to find me there. The new book is Content Inc. You can buy it anywhere. It's also have a podcast called Content Inc. That's a five-minute motivational podcast. If you're with a big company and you're a marketer, it's the This Old Marketing Podcast. Been doing that for 10 years with Robert Rose. So that's been fun. And then the big thing that I'm working on right now is uh, the creator economy stuff. So that's thetilt.com. It's a two-time weekly email newsletter all about how content creators can create real businesses that they can drive financial success from and hopefully someday have an exit. And uh, and then we have our own creator coin, social token called TiltCoin. And when you sign up for the Tilt, you get some TiltCoin, you get to figure out what we're doing in web three and we're trying to figure that out just like everyone else and then the big event that we have every year is creator economy expo and that's may 23 in cleveland ohio and i i think i'm doing a lot i think i'm doing too many too many things right now that i just mentioned all that but content right so it's fun love it thank you so much for your time today joe i just love how i was able to nerd out with you and get really particular and ask very niche questions and you're able to shoot them down and you're really passionate about content like what like you're doing what gary v does like you're really into content it's something that you live in and i can just feel the experience and you've been doing this for a long time and i can definitely sense that through the camera so thank you well you had some great questions and i appreciate those because you asked me some questions that people haven't asked me in a long time so i had to think about it but i appreciate it. i am passionate about it though thank you very much joe if you guys made it this far into the podcast i just want to say thank you for your time um, please let me know your thoughts please leave me a review on apple and spotify i've been reading through them learning what i should improve on and what i should um what i should double down on so please let me know what your thoughts are and i really appreciate your time today guys and i'll see you guys next week with another episode peace